It's really great to be here again with you. Um, really fond of you in this church, and uh, it's a great blessing just to see what God's doing through you and to support and encourage that. Uh, I'm actually going to fit into the series that you're doing. I had a bit of a scary email which said, could I fit into the series and simplify? I thought, is my preaching usually that complicated? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's um, great to be able to do that. And so we're going to look at uh, that theme. But actually, the theme we're wanting to get simple teaching from the Word of God on is our attitude to money and possessions and how we handle finances. And actually, the simplest, because I'm told to simplify, the simplest <laughs> biblical statement of the issue of our attitude to money is actually found in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Now, that church was a poor yet generous church, so much so that Paul used them as an example when he was writing a letter to another church, saying how out of their great poverty they gave generously. In fact, they pleaded to be able to give to the needs of those even poorer than themselves. You know, in July with our friends in Ukraine, met many people from the occupied territories, and they are supporting a guy who just before, uh, when I was last there actually, got felt the call of God to plant a church in India. So he went from Donetsk to India, and he was about to go when the war broke, broke out, but still felt he should go. And... Uh, then he looked on the internet and saw that his house had been completely destroyed. So he said, well, I can't go back anyway. I've lost my house. And those churches in the occupied territories who've got no money are supporting this guy in India. So it's wonderful always to see people who are poor yet generous, which is a great example to those of us who are wealthy to be even more generous. Okay, but this is what Paul said. I know, he said, what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. That is a great statement of Christian freedom. That I'm content whether I've got nothing. I'm content... If I'm hungry, I'm content. If I've got loads, because God blesses in that way from time to time. And in fact, led, that led one commentator to describe that verse as a description of the happiest man on earth. Okay, Because I've learned in every circumstance to be content. Now, as, as I travel, I sometimes it's a great blessing. You know, I stay in a five-star hotel and it's got everything I want and superfood and everything. Other times, maybe the next trip, I'm staying with a family who've got a two or three-room flat with five of them in the family and grandma as well. <laughs> and I'm staying with them and them I'm sharing a, a bunk beds with the young lads of the family. Okay, so one trip, five-star hotel, another trip, 
like that, and we learn to be content in every circumstance. We don't grumble. Okay, I once was in a place where there was only a, it was a two-roomed house, actually, and the pastor of a particular church I was visiting, and about we were talking around the, the kitchen table at night, and after a while, the guy who I travelled with, who leads the churches in that region, said, well, "Where are we all going to sleep tonight?" Because there's about 15 of us. <laughs> And the, this guy, I still see him, think, oh, yeah. Obviously, I hadn't given him much thought before. So, and then he said, ah, yes. Women and children in one room, men in the other. <laughs> and you were actually to get to the bathroom. <laughs> you had to walk through one of the rooms. Anyway. <laughs> so, in whatever circumstance, to be content. Now, that's nothing like Paul had to go through. I certainly wasn't hungry that day. So, when Jesus addressed this issue, like he usually did, he told a story. So I'm going to tell a story now from the Word of God, which includes that story. Got it? Okay. Because I like to preach through stories. If you want to check me out, it's Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 34, but we'll read that at the end. I'd tell the story first, and then the reading of Scripture has more impact. So, it was one of the largest crowds Jesus had ever preached to. Many thousands, and it was almost a riot as people trampled on one another, seemingly to get close to here. You know, if you think you're preaching without amplification to a crowd of a thousand. Then, Jesus started instructing his followers with the crowd listening. That's often how Jesus did his teaching. Taught his disciples, but the crowd were listening. And he was teaching on the seriousness of the kingdom of God. He said, don't fear those who can kill the body. Rather, live a life that will keep you free from hell. Don't fear... Because God values you so much, he even counts the hairs on your head. He was teaching. As he was talking, a man dragging his older brother, as far as we can tell, to the front and got to Jesus, making a commotion as he went and interrupted the preaching and said to Jesus, you're a rabbi, Please tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. What's this all about then? What was that going on? Well, when an inheritance was left in those days, the happiest position was when sons could share it together instead of either dividing the farm into lots and lots of little small things that weren't really viable and continue to work the land without dividing it up. Actually, there's a psalm that celebrates that, which we often celebrate but don't realise the background. And it says this, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. So, the issue of ownership and use of land was problem of number one in the Middle East. Still is. 
And when it couldn't be shared, it had to be divided up. But that was very much second best. So this guy, he brought his brother, get him to share the inheritance with me. Jesus refused a major temptation here. He said, it's not my job to sort out inheritance rights. Your attitude is more important. So Jesus refused to operate outside his role and give an opinion on a second best issue. He wasn't a divider, it says. Often the rabbis would make those sort of decisions, but Jesus refused that role. You know, as church leaders, we're not called to tell you how to use your money. We're told to teach you to have a right attitude of heart. Okay? Yeah? I was once telephoned by a guy in the... He was actually in the Crimea. He rang me one day and he said, I've got a big decision to make on finances. He said, should I take this big loan out or not? He said, you're a banker and you have a prophetic gift, therefore you should be able to tell me. So I refused, nicely. But it wasn't my job. It's just like it happened to Jesus here. And Jesus didn't listen to one side of the story and come to a quick judgment based on partial facts. Jesus, to use 21st century language, didn't give in to the rights culture. It's my right. No, Jesus told them a story. So he turned aside from his preaching and told them this story. He said there was a rich man. One year, the ground produced even more crops than usual. And he was rich anyway. And this man talked to himself and said, I've got nowhere to put my surplus, but I must keep it for myself. I know. I'll pull down my barn and build bigger ones. And then I'll just relax and say to myself, you've got loads stored up. It'll last you for years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and have some fun. Then God said, you fool. Tonight, you will die. And then, who will get everything you've worked for? Quite a story. Jesus then explained to his disciples. He left this poor guy with his brother, spoke to his attitude of heart, and then started teaching his disciples from from that illustration. He said, don't worry about food and clothes. Look at the ravens. They're clothed well and have plenty to eat. You're more valuable than them. And also, worrying's no use. And the translations are not quite sure of this point, but it either means you can't add an hour to your life or a few centimetres to your height by worrying. Okay. You can't, can you? You know, anyone grown big and strong through worrying? You can't do it. Look at the flowers. They're more beautiful than King Solomon in all these beautiful robes. Yet what value are these meadow flowers when the hay is cut for fuel? They burn too. Well, Sylla and I last year were in holiday in the French Alps, and we were there just before the alpine meadows were picked. 
were used for hay. Oh, beautiful place, you know, all these flowers growing. And then while we were there, someone came along and just cut all the grass down and cut all the flowers down as well. It all just went. That's what Jesus is talking about here. When the hay is cut, these flowers burn too. And if God clothes temporary flowers, he'll certainly clothe you. And then Jesus sort of said, affectionately, I think, you little faith people. And then he said, the pagan of the people, the, pa- the, the unbelievers of the world who don't trust God, they all pursue possessions. But your father needs, knows you need them. Put his rule in your life first, and then you'll have clothes and food enough. That's how Jesus was saying we regard our possessions. Now, what matters, he said, is your heart. What do you really treasure? Is it the coming of God's kingdom, or is it the material possessions? that we have because where your treasure is that's where your heart will be as well okay so what's that's the story what's all this teaching us well firstly it teaches us life does not equal possessions today's philosophy is that what you own is really what's important about you yeah On a Sunday afternoon to relax, I read the Sunday Times. Okay, when I'm actually, I'll be able to do that today. Usually I'm traveling, so I read it on Monday. But, and then this, there, there's all sorts of supplements of all sorts of things that I couldn't possibly afford. Okay, just to sort of whet my appetite and, and incite my greed. That's what's around all the time. Just a little bit more. You need a little bit more. Status symbols, what you own, your house, your car. These status symbols differ from culture to culture, but they're often the things that give us honour. Now, the excess came to this man, this rich fool, because the land that year produced more than usual. It was just a blessing. The excess was a blessing from God. It wasn't because of his skill that there was good rainfall, good sunshine, and the land produced more. Of course he worked hard, and we are to do that. But actually, even if you work hard, the extra you get is simply the blessing from God. You say, well, no, no, I went to university. I worked hard there. I got a degree. And I've worked hard ever since. That's how I've got wealthy. Yeah. But there's other people who also worked hard, went to university, got a good degree, and haven't got what you've got. What's the difference? You better? No. The difference is the blessing of God in your circumstances. You say, well, why does God bless some more than others? It's not like that. 
God pours out blessings. Some people benefit more, some don't. And the purpose of benefiting more is that you can bless then those that don't benefit as much. You understand? It's the blessing of God. There's almost no issue that so makes us as Christians stand out against the strongholds of our culture than this one. Could be because of your family background. Some people get blessing because of their family background. Or the way the financial markets work that year. Now, this guy's possessions had already made him lonely. He had to have a discussion with himself. You know, we, we don't realise, because we can't read those parables in the original language and culture... We don't realise that lots of the parables are jokes. You know, it's good for preachers to use funny stories sometimes because that's what Jesus did. And this would have been a bit of a joke in that culture. It says, he said to himself. Or, on translations, he talked to his soul. And said, soul? <laughs> you see, in the Middle East, anyone with a big decision would never talk to themselves. They would debate it, the sort of men of the village, if it was a decision like that. Sorry, ladies, I'm talking about 2,000 years ago. The men of the village would sit around and debate for ages what he would do with his money. It would be a corporate decision. But this man had got so much money, he was so lonely, and he had to talk to himself, a very lonely man. Actually... The Bible gives two motivations for hard work and earning money, neither of which were what this guy was applying. Firstly, so as not to be a burden to others, that is to provide for yourselves and your family. And secondly, so that you can give to those in need. The Bible says this, if you're a thief, sorry, that wasn't a word of knowledge, that was just getting the scripture in its context. <laughs> if you're a thief... Quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work, good hard work. And then this applies to us all, whether you are thieves or not. And then give generously to those who are in need. Wow. So you work hard to provide for your family, not to build up possessions, and then to give to those who are in need. So our possessions are to bless others. But the rich man was only thinking of himself. So, oh, it doesn't come out in the translations because, again, these, the original parables were poetry, were fun, and often wordplay. So, this is a lot of wordplay. I just thought I'd tell you this bit. So, he says, euphorio, that means the ground brings lots of fruit. Therefore, you, euphranio, make merry and enjoy yourself. And Euphros was self-enjoyment. Aphros is fool. So this guy said, Euphros! God said, Aphros. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> we, were, we sort of miss all this, all this wonderful stuff in these parables. And so there's a play on words there. And then there's another play on words. As we said, the man talks to his soul. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. 
This very night, your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? Your soul is required. Your life is only lent to you for a, small, for a short time. One day, repayment is due, and you cannot meet it with money. You can only meet it, and if you're a believer in Jesus, you're confident of being able to meet the payment on due date. Because you have the righteousness of Christ as a gift and the forgiveness of God which enables you to go. That's the repayment. That's the gospel. You repay with your, the fact that you've received the good news of Jesus Christ. And you pay that on the day when you have to. But this man didn't have that. He only had possessions. Imagine having possessions without this good news. So, how should disciples of Jesus then regard finances and possession? Here's some quick little tips for you. Firstly, don't be stupid. I'm sure that's never been said to you in this church before. But don't be stupid. That's what Jesus is saying. Because being without God, but with possessions, leads to great danger and moreover is stupid. You can have everything. You have the best car. That's stupid. <laughs> because you're not living for the kingdom of God. Secondly, without worry. Because God feeds the birds, he'll also feed us. And worrying doesn't work anyway. <laughs> okay? How many of you got out of a, good, out of a financial crisis by worrying? Next, with contentment. Sometimes, through God's blessing, we have plenty. Sometimes, life's a struggle that we can face in faith. You know, being content. I, Silla and I, when we were, at one time, we, I had a good job. I was a banker in the days when you could proudly say you were an international banker. And... Uh, <laughs> And then God called us to give that up, to serve in the church. The church couldn't pay us. So we had to live by faith, as we say. But I hope we always live by faith. And so we remember my bank car being taken away my bank mortgage, which was subsidised, being withdrawn. My salary, gone, no money. But somehow, God provided. On one occasion, we were really hard up, and this wadge of notes came through between 11 o'clock at night when we went to bed and 6 o'clock when we got up, this wadge of notes so thick I don't know how he even got through the letterbox, was there on the floor. Never know where it came from. We also had a dog which used to bark at any visitor. It was an you know, embarrassing dog, you know? And, uh, <laughs> the, and the dog slept where the money would have come through because he slept by the doorpost. But he never barked. So our children said the next morning, it must have been an angel. 
because as you know, theologically, dogs don't bark at angels. Okay? <laughs> According to our children, okay? Next, by knowing our value in the sight of God. He loves us and will provide what we need, whether that's a lot or a little. Because he values you. Next, with faith, trusting the God who clothes the flowers. Instead of being those of little faith, faith is often tested not in the big things of life, but in the ordinary things of life, life, possessions and finances. Faith is both general, we can trust God to provide, but it also involves listening to God for specific directions. So, some of you will remember this, but we moved house to a house in Warwick Avenue which we couldn't afford. But we felt God was saying to us, have a house, we can have your four children there and they're teenagers and they live in a bit more space and you can take lots of people in to train. Which is what we did. So there's people all over the world now who lived in that house. And we felt God say to us, do it. Now we did daft things as a result. So we took a interest-only mortgage. Now, it didn't pay any capital back all the time we were there. Now, I would never counsel anyone to do that, but we'd heard God, you see? So we had faith. The result was, when we sold that house to move to where we are now, the difference in property prices at the time we sold was big enough so that we were mortgage-free virtually, just a tiny one, when we moved. Do you understand? Because we heard God and operated in faith and was, wanted to have a house where we could be generous. We've always tried to do that. We're not, we try to be generous with money, but we want to be generous with our home. That prophetic word that Phil brought referred to the first thing he said in terms of how we're going to change is through hospitality. Wow. I didn't expect that to be the first thing. I thought it would be inter- intercession or something like that. But it was hospitality. <laughs> you see? When I used to come back from working in London... We were planting a church. We had a lot of the poor people that we were reaching. I never knew who would be staying with us that night because they would come during the day. That it was our home. It wasn't our castle. It was a place to, with possessions, bless the needy. Unlike the pagans, because of our knowledge of a God who knows what we need and works for our best. So pagans don't know God, but because they have to go with possessions, we know God. And by putting God's kingdom purposes and values before possessions. What does that mean? Well, his kingdom reflects God's nature. He's the king of it, the kingdom reflects him. He's generous to all. Therefore, his kingdom is a place of generosity. So we're generous to all. We're generous to what we have. In the Old Testament, if you, had, if you had a vineyard, you mustn't pick all the grapes. You must leave some for the poor. If you had an apple orchard, don't pick all your apples. Leave it for the poor. You understand? That's God's kingdom. That's how we live. So what you have, what God has blessed you with, even if it's small, or if it's somehow... Like this rich fool, it just sort of 
It's just come. Stock market did well. We've just got all this money. Generous. Like God. Think of others and bless them rather than standing up for our rights like the man who asked the question. If we're to live a challenge a materialistic word, world, we must live like disciples and not like the world. Jesus told stories to deal with complex issues in a simple and subtle way which left people wanting to hear more even if they knew they were being challenged. <laughs> That's why he told stories. Easier to challenge people with a story. Be challenged by the story, okay? How we handle our finances with faith, generosity and contentment is a good test of how we're living out the kingdom now. Got it? Let's read it. The scripture. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, or soul, he's talking to himself, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth and not have a rich relationship with God. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but God feeds them. And you're far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? I like that translation there. <laughs> Look at the lilies and see how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he'll give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. They, this will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. <laughs> Let's pray.